As the numbers of people testing positive for coronavirus rise around the world, so too are many people's anxiety levels. So how can you protect your mental health and that of your family, friends and colleagues as we deal with the disruption caused by the COVID-19 pandemic? I'm Edwina Stott and this is the RFDS Queensland Section podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Dr Tim Driscoll, the clinical lead for the RFDS Queensland Section Outback Mental Health Team, to gain some invaluable advice on how to ease your anxiety, help your child deal with theirs, manage your work-life balance and mental health when you're working from home or providing essential services to the community, and even dealing with social isolation, particularly if you're in a remote area. I began by asking Tim how what we're currently experiencing can impact our mental health. Uh, look, there can be a variety of different impacts that'll have on different people. I mean, the, the actual impacts are going to be quite different between individuals, and I think that's very important to recognise. Obviously, the, the anxiety around the pandemic itself. There's been a lot of media coverage, and this has certainly increased people's levels of anxiety, well, health anxiety particularly. And some people will be more impacted by that. So some people do have sort of pre-existing anxiety where they are very concerned about their health, or they may be in a vulnerable health group, for example, a, a pre-existing medical condition or a, or an older person, for example, or have young children. And these things will increase the level of anxiety that someone will feel around the pandemic. Obviously, also social isolation is included in there as well, and that can have quite significant Implications for some people, particularly those people that are um, more isolated generally anyway, and they may not have that same connection, so I'm particularly concerned about older people. Uh, But within our workforce, I guess the main things that we'll be dealing with is really the anxiety directly about the disease, but also a change in their routine as well, and the impact that this might have on other members of their family as well, and certainly on income. So there's absolutely a um, quite a large a chance that a lot of people are going to experience increasing stressors as a result of this. Depending on any individual factors, it's going to have very, very different impacts on individual people and families. And is it the case that we sometimes don't realise how stressed we are about this kind of thing? Do you know, you might find yourself snapping at your husband or telling your kids off a bit more than usual. Is it important that people check in? It certainly can sneak up. I mean, particularly when you're talking about those smaller stresses. So we've got something going on in the background. We've, We've got a a pandemic that we're hearing a lot about. We're also facing sort of more minor inconveniences as well in terms of getting essential supplies like toilet paper is the classic one. Um, But just little changes like that can actually creep up on people quite quickly. Uh, So it is quite easy for people to have that sneak up on them. And and, and it's not actually them that often notices that they might be having a, a bit of a struggle with the situation. And it might be a partner or someone that they work with that might actually notice that. They, they might notice some change in their colleague or their partner or a family member. And you might see that increase in conflict or you might see someone's more emotional than they normally are. Or, you know, if you're living with someone, maybe their sleep might be disturbed or they might be eating a bit less. But certainly it can sneak up on people very, very quickly. Because one of the things that we do do is that if we're getting annoyed, we just figure it's someone else annoying us. So it's uh, not necessarily uh, a change in us that we notice immediately. And what are some of the symptoms we should be looking out for, both in ourselves and others? Oh, absolutely. I mean, really what we look for is change. 
So, I mean, that might be a, a change in mood, which is more obvious. Uh, but even other things like appetite and sleep are really good indicators that we might be feeling a bit more stressed than we normally do. And sometimes uh, some people can't actually identify so well when they're becoming overstressed, but they might notice they can't sleep anymore. Or they might notice that they're, they're eating a little bit less or they might not be doing some of the same things. So it's actually change of any kind that you kind of look out for. And that's actually pretty important when you're bringing this up with a loved one is you actually be quite specific about what you've actually noticed and the cause of your concern and actually be quite specific. So, you know, I've noticed that you're, you're having trouble sleeping, you know, as the, the changes, you know, recently, it may they, they might have contributed, but being actually quite specific is very, very useful in terms of pointing something out to someone when you're concerned about them, but also reflecting on, on your own experience and that just keeping an eye on those really basic things, because they're our, our best indicators of how we're going, is just those, you know, basic everyday things. And what we're looking for is change. And look, that can be in any direction. Um, so some people might eat a lot more suddenly. They, they're noticing that they're you know, they're eating an extra dessert or eating more food during the day or sleeping a lot more or sleeping a lot less or just losing their appetite. So it's not about one particular thing happening, but what we're actually focused on is, has there been some change there? And that's something that obviously not, not an intentional change, but something that's just sort of crept up on us and we're realizing that something's different. So it doesn't matter so much what the change is, whether that's a, you know, someone might be more angry or someone might be just a bit more anxious or, or might even seem a bit down. But the thing is, what we're looking for really is change. And again, pointing that out, being quite specific in terms of what you've noticed if you're concerned about someone. So on top of all this, Tim, you've already touched on this slightly, but many people are now working from home, which they might not ordinarily do. What can the impact of working on ho- at home and all this disruption to our routine mean for our mental health? Certainly. Look, uh, routine is actually quite important for our mental health. It's particularly important for children in terms of you know, where we're, we are actually in a situation where a lot of things are going to need to change in response to the virus. And really what we need to do is actually keep that routine as close to possible to a normal routine as we can. Now, that's important for adults, but it's particularly important for children. So that the other thing about that is, is some simple advice in terms of if you're working at home, make sure you've got a tidy workspace as well. That can be really, really helpful in terms of setting up a, a workspace that's designed for, for doing work from home. If, if it's not something that sort of has been previously required of you, to actually have that space and be able to create a separation between your workspace and your living space. Because there is a big risk of those lines sort of blurring. And what people can do is just be sort of working all the time, you know, throughout the house in terms of not isolating out home from work life. And that can be a little bit of a challenge. But of course, the other thing that that is quite difficult about that is the relationships we have with people at work. So our colleagues form quite a large part of our social world. So actually staying connected to those people is actually quite important as well. Uh, I mean, thanks to modern technology, that really is not that great a challenge. We've got you know Zoom in all our offices. We've certainly got telephones. But actually making sure that you do keep up those sort of normal social connections that are part of our work life because we can let those drop off to our detriment if we are working from home and it's not something we're used to doing. So that's something to keep an eye on. So you've touched on it there, but how important is it that we do consciously combat the social isolation that we probably will be facing, if not already? Uh, look, I, th- I think it's essential. I mean, really, social connection is, is one of the, the four pillars of our well-being. And I'd say, you know, to our mental health, it certainly is 
as important as those other aspects in terms of you know good sleep eating well uh, doing some exercise and actually also our physical health as well i mean it's actually really important that we make that a focus because things have changed it may not be automatic to have those normal social connections that we have because we sort of go to the same office and that might not necessarily be happening but making a conscious effort to ensure that those connections remain strong is really really important for our mental health but also important for the mental health of our colleagues So if we're feeling quite anxious and stressed because of everything that's going on, I know you've given us some great tips already, but what are some of the things that we can keep doing to keep to ensure that our mental health stays strong throughout this time? Sure. Look, I I think in terms of the most valuable things to consider when well, I guess protecting our mental health and well-being are really those basics. So I was just mentioning earlier the, the four pillars of well-being, which is really exercise, diet, getting enough sleep, and also making sure that, that those connections stay, stay strong, those social connections. So really focusing on those real basics, which is, you know, it's sleep, it's exercise, it's diet, and it's staying connected. They're, they're the things that are really, really important to maintaining someone's wellness. And because of these changes of an, in routine, we may need to make some alterations to make sure that we actually do achieve those things. So making sure that we still make time to exercise. If, if some people are concerned about gathering with other people, they might, they might stop going to the gym, for example, but making alternative arrangements to make sure that we are really looking after those basics that support our mental health. Now, there are things that are very individual to people, and that's the other thing I'd really encourage people to do is actually think back on the things that they've used previously when they might have been under some, you know, a higher level of stress that have worked quite well for them. Now, this is going to be different between different people. I mean, some people like gardening, some people like meditation, you know, some people might enjoy, you know, in photography, it doesn't really matter what it is but in terms of think back on the things that have worked for you when you've been under stress um, because they can be quite individual I mean it's not really blanket advice I mean you could certainly do like meditation training with someone and they despise the thing and it wouldn't be particularly helpful for them Um, so they are there are those sort of individual things that are on top of those basic pillars that everyone needs Uh, so it is good to think about the individual things that you've put into place in your life during other periods that have been more stressful and have been effective in terms of helping you get through a harder time. And a lot of the time now we're reading a lot of updates, things are changing very quickly. So we kind of have to be very aware of the news and latest advice from health services. But that can feel a bit overwhelming at times. Is it wise to have a break from social media and that kind of news? Look, there's a need to be informed. But I think it's important that we consider where that information is coming from and we're getting accurate information and we're not just sort of being overwhelmed by that information. Like you'll see that some people will be, you know, watching the news more than they would normally, but also following some of those stories that they might see on social media that don't necessarily have reputable sources. So those things that are scaremongering, essentially, clickbait is, is the example of that, things that are shocking. So really making sure that the information that people get is accurate you're not being overwhelmed by it I mean it's important to be informed and it's important to keep a track of that through the media but making sure that you're actually getting the information and not being overwhelmed by that and I mean really you know visiting you know the Queensland Health website is an example of getting that quality information or looking at the World Health Organization making sure the information that you are getting is accurate and really just you know having the required 
information but not being completely absorbed by it. You certainly don't want people to be in a situation where it's overtaking every element of their life. It's, it's quite important that they have the information but there's other things going on in, in their life as well. Mm. And for many people, they are in a career where they can't switch off and it will kind of consume a lot of their working life now. I'm thinking about people who keep the flying doctor going, the people who are working in our hospitals and even our grocery stores. Are there things that these people can do to ensure that they have a bit of peace and a bit of a calmer mind? Look, I think it's particularly important for those people to make sure they maintain balance in their lives and focusing particularly on those things that drop off. And I'm talking again about those basic four pillars of well-being, putting extra focus on that. But also when people are ruminating, for example, it can be very, very useful to think about, do I have control over this? Is this outside of my control? And really focus on those things that are within your control. And that, that may be, you know, for people that are concerned about contagion, for example, that they are focusing on the practical things that they can do to reduce their risk. But in terms of those things that are very much outside of their control, take the focus away from that and put it back on the things that are in your control, keeping yourself well, taking the necessary precautions, you know, making sure that, you know, you're supported and you're supporting your colleagues as well. I'm actually somewhat more concerned about the people that may not be able to assist in, the, in those areas. For example, people who go into quarantine and that kind of thing. I'm actually concerned about them feeling that they might be letting their colleagues down and that kind of thing. I, I think there's a risk there as well. But there will be people who certainly um, will have some anxiety around you know, the potential direct impact of the virus on their health and also on their loved ones in terms of also, you know, taking the illness to family members and that kind of thing. And that, look, and that's a, that can be a, a, a realistic fear and something that should be worried about. But in terms of we need to focus on the things that we can do something about and really focusing on the ways that we can reduce the possibility of that happening. And I think that's quite a useful, useful thing to do. Focus on the things you've got control over. And every time you do that, what you do is you, you feel safer, you feel more in control, and you're actually getting somewhere with what you're, you're putting your mental energy into. So if you're combining that, focus on the things you can do something about, but also make sure you really focus on maintaining your wellness. Mm. And you touched on it there, you know, those feelings of guilt, whether that is that you are a frontline worker and you've got coronavirus and you actually can't help your colleagues. Or even I was talking to one colleague this morning and she mentioned that because at the moment schools are still open in Queensland, she mentioned that she was feeling guilty about sending her kids to school while she was working from home. Is there anything that we can do about those feelings of guilt and kind of putting some perspective onto those? Well, I think in a way it sort of does go back a little bit to, you know, what we've got control over. Certainly, you know, if we're feeling guilty about something that, you know, we don't have control over, then I think we need to move where our focus is. Now, that's not always going to be possible. We are going to get dragged back into that. But it is our best sort of strategy in terms of going through that situation where, well, OK, so there are, there are risks that we are going to be, ex be exposed to. That, that's, I mean, that's just part of life. Life is quite risky. So there, there is risk associated with this for our families and ourselves. But again, I, I think just where that focus is is so important in terms of 
our ability to respond appropriately to that, but also our ability to support children particularly. So if you've got a parent that's quite concerned about a, a child going to school, but that's, that's still sort of happening and they're experiencing a lot of anxiety, it's often the case that the children might not necessarily feel so safe if their parent is noticeably anxious, which kids are pretty good at picking up when parents are anxious. Um, but actually managing that is actually very important as well. And I know that's sort of straying off topic a little bit. You're really talking about the, the, the guilt there. Now, it, it, that guilt is a thing that does happen. I mean, it's, it doesn't seem that it's a reasonable thing to feel guilty about that. But it, it can be actually quite detrimental if people do get into a bit of a guilt spiral. And that can be an example of where someone one you know, might actually benefit from talking to someone at that point as well. They are finding that they are having quite uncomfortable feelings or guilty feelings, particularly if they're somewhat... I guess other people might not necessarily feel guilty in that same situation. It might be a good time to actually talk to someone and unpack that. Now, that might be a friend, but it might also be a professional in terms of, you know, if you are struggling with those emotions that you can't necessarily do a whole lot about, you're feeling some guilt about something that, you know, you're just sort of doing what's expected of you. There is some risk associated with that you know, which is involved in everyday life anyway. And it can be useful to talk to someone outside of your immediate circle as well, because sometimes people don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about those, you know, those those feelings that they're having. Some people are quite open with it, but other, other people will benefit from someone outside their circle and, and a professional might be quite useful in that sense where it's a confidential kind of space where people can really talk about what they're experiencing without it having, you know, any potential you know, flow-on effects in terms of they're worried about what other people might think of them and that kind of thing. So it can be quite valuable in that sense. Mm. And if we notice our colleagues or our family or friends are struggling, what can we do to help them without coming across as patronising or meddling? Look, I, I think it's actually very difficult to do any damage there. I mean, unless you're ridiculing someone or or saying someone, you know, saying something, you know, quite outrageous to someone or trying to take over their life in some way, most people's natural response is actually quite helpful to that. Just actually showing concern, because one of the the interesting things is that just having a conversation with you know a layperson about you know, something that might be weighing on someone, just them actually talking without any specific advice can be really actually quite therapeutic in terms of them working it out in their own heads, just them talking without any, you know, without any external advice, just as a way of working through that. I mean, it's also quite emotionally cathartic as well, um, being able to sort of get that off your chest with people. So being a person that's actually just there is actually quite important. But also don't be afraid to, you know, potentially you know, offer assistance, you know, so do you, do you need to talk to, you know, do, would, would talking to me be something helpful? I've noticed you, you know, you, that this is happening. I was a little bit worried about you, for example. Look, that's not going to do any damage. And even if you annoy someone, the, the long-term repercussions of that are pretty small as opposed to someone not being picked up or, you know, they're not being concerned expressed. I, I mean, the other thing is if you are assisting someone, I'd really encourage that, make sure that you really understand where they're coming from and more importantly that they feel that you understand what they're saying and where they're coming from because the other thing is if you do want to provide advice and there might be you know there might be room for this you might know things that they may not we all do this but essentially making sure that you've understood first and then 
provide any advice after that, but make sure the person feels understood first. Otherwise, it's going to fall on deaf ears. And that's where we do fall into a situation where, you know, we might be seen as patronising, for example. We haven't heard. We've given a, given a solution without understanding exactly what's happening for that person. Uh, so it's really important that the, first, the person actually feels understood first, uh, certainly before you, you might provide any specific advice, for example. Um, and I think that can be quite helpful. The other thing is actually offering actual practical assistance can be so valuable, particularly if you know, someone might be in quarantine, for example, but dropping off groceries, that kind of thing can be immeasurable in terms of making someone feel that they're not as isolated. Those practical things are, are really a good way of making someone feel supported if they're in that situation. Yeah, and also something I've seen on social media and in the news is that actually trying to help somebody else can sometimes help your own mental health because you feel like you're being helpful and doing something about it and shifting your focus, perhaps. Oh, look, I think that's really important. I mean, it certainly makes us feel more connected to the community, but also, I mean, it, make, it makes you feel good when you do something good for someone. And I mean, I think the power of that's very well documented. You know, people who volunteer, for example, will speak about that often as being like a selfish pursuit because they, they get such good feelings out of it. So it certainly can help people cope. If you're having a hard time, helping someone else can be really quite invaluable to in, in lifting your own, well, your mood, but actually more in, importantly that, that you have an important role in the world. You know, that, that can be really important, like you're doing some good. And that can really get people through if they feel like they've got more of a purpose. So perhaps we should encourage people to be selfish and be kind. <laughs> so that's, that's good advice, yeah. And obviously this is also an incredibly stressful time for kids. You know, they are seeing all this news, possibly secondhand. They're getting fed it through school, not knowing whether they're going to close down or what's going to be happening. You know, NAPLAN's being cancelled this year. It's a big deal for them. How can we help kids through this time? So making sure that we've got a good routine, making sure that we get things back to as normal as we can, making sure they've got good, accurate information, making sure that that information is appropriate to their age and level of development, making sure that they're not being overwhelmed by all this information coming through. And some of that may be misinformation or things might be overblown. Making sure that you, you have a plan for your family in terms of if, you know, if you're required to isolate, you have a plan to do that. Um, making sure that things are as predictable as possible and making sure that children feel they've got some control within their lives as well. So a good way of doing that is making them aware of this good plan, but also having some control, particularly if you need to isolate. And a good way of doing that is actually with smaller kids is actually just giving two options, for example. And the good thing about that is that you do want to have, you know, reasonable to them, but they're making sure they still have choices within the restriction of where they're at. So that can be important as well. That was Dr Tim Driscoll, the clinical lead for the RFDS Queensland section Outback Mental Health Team. I'm Edwina Stott, and this is the RFDS Queensland Section podcast. <laughs>